Hi, I'm Rich. Hi, I'm Ben. And this is Marketing Matters. And this is the podcast where we talk about everything to do with marketing and communications and why it's important. Because in other words, marketing matters. Yeah, it does. So, hello, Rich. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. It's been a little while since we last spoke. I want to say a little while. I think we've just figured it out. It was probably about eight months ago. And about eight months ago, um, I think in our last conversation... There hadn't even been a general election yet, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh my since since then, um, a quite a lot has happened. happened. Yeah, few, 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 one or two things have happened that have kind of impacted our world, you know, pretty massively. One of them is Liverpool winning the league, yes. which is great, which is good. I mean, we might have alienated quite a lot, a large part of our audience there, but hey, we like that fact. Um, but the other one. Um, has been a less happy thing, which has been the coronavirus pandemic. Now, you know, there's probably, you know, there's been encyclopedias written online about coronavirus and how it's how it's impacted on everything from the marketing industry to food production to the media to absolutely everything. Oh. But we just thought we'd take a little bit of a to take take this first episode back after our sort of extended break to talk a bit about how it's kind of affected us as marketeers and communications people um and think a bit about how our world has changed and a bit about sort of yeah. like some of the things that we think might be permanent changes and some of those things that might be sort of a bit more maybe more more temporary changes but first and foremost rich kind of how's it been for you since march well, um, I don't know. It's really interesting um, to reflect on it a little bit, really. Um, I was listening to uh, a Louis Theroux podcast the other week um, because everyone's been listening to podcasts during lockdown. Um, but no, uh, and he, he, he talks about how people seem to be divided up into people who are over busy because suddenly they're working from home whilst also um, homeschooling, whilst also doing all, you know, everything else that a household needs, needs doing. Or there are those people who are kind of, um, under busy because they're furloughed and there's, they've got nothing to do and there's no and they, their kids aren't at home, whatever it might be, and they're suddenly at a loose end and permanently watching Netflix. Um, and I've been in this kind of weird hybrid world of actually, in our household, not a lot actually changed dramatically because my wife's a key worker, so she was going back, going to work anyway with just the associated changes, doing quite a bit more from home as well, but it's quite sort of. Um, uh, sensitive work so you can't really do it in a in a, any particular sort of public space so she was going back to the office anyway um and my work you know often is run from home anyway um so that bit didn't change a lot and because it's digital marketing it was kind of straightforward to kind of run it purely from home um so we were in this kind of a weird world of um knowing everything was different but things also not being that different um which was quite uh, quite curious um how about you similar really i think you know i you know run a very small business as well so it's like i'm pretty used to kind of working from home i think it's anyway so it's not like it was the biggest lifestyle change that it is for a lot of people you know as i say it was um you know i'm one of those people that had to look in the look in an online dictionary into what furlough actually meant back in back in march <laughs> it's probably one of the most visited pages on the internet <laughs> yeah. about that during that fortnight um so um yeah, similar really. I've been kind of, I do a lot of work from home anyway. Um, it just has meant that I've spent a lot less time on the train. I've spent a lot less time stuck in traffic on the M6. Yeah. And in that respect, it's been, it's been, it's been positive in a lot of ways because actually it's just, 
I, I, so I live in Liverpool and I had one of my clients was based in sort of South Cheshire in Crewe, which is not too far away from kind of like Staffordshire. So from here to there is a one and a half hour car journey on a good day. So, and I was, it was fun, funnily enough, kind of at the end of May, it was my end of financial year. So I've survived two years. Yay. Oh. And, um, I was just kind of going through all my expenses because I'm notoriously bad at keeping up with, with uh, my travel expenses and stuff. And it was just about the amount of times I was putting in the diary, catch-up meeting, project catch-up meeting in crew, uh, 45 minutes. Well, that's then three hours on the road, yeah. not being able to do any other work because I'm driving, probably sitting having a, having a sandwich in the subway before I go in. So it's kind of like an enti- entire day's lost traveling, really, and I haven't lost any time traveling. So in lots of ways, it's been pretty positive because it's kind of like, you know, I've been able to sort of get up a little bit earlier. As I say, our little four-year-old boy's been at home uh you know he's he was in nursery but he's not in nursery anymore and we're waiting for for school in september for him to go back my wife also is a freelancer as well so you know that's been quite challenging but at the same time we have sort of between us been able to kind of sort of you know take the dog for a walk we've been able to get up a bit earlier or go to bed a little bit later while still kind of being pretty productive mm. because actually neither of us are on the in the car or on the train or anything like that so in that respect it's not been not been too bad but obviously you know you are aware that this kind of it has been stressful at times as i'm sure it has it yeah. has, it has for you and every other kind of person who's also used to working from home but i think you are obviously aware that this pretty dramatic terrible thing is happening out there and it's some it's it's very strange isn't it i don't know what it feels like for you rich because if you're used to working from home like i am but it's a bit like you can sometimes forget this whole horrible thing is happening yeah um, there, there was there, i remember i mean it, it's kind of weird because now we're, we're in what uh, back end of july and you know at, at the beginning particularly around that kind of first period end of march beginning of april um where you kind of wake up and forget what was happening and then it was suddenly dawn on you that there was this huge thing it felt like it was kind of outside the house almost you know what I mean it was like when everyone was literally in sort of in, in lockdown and only out for essential trips and all that sort of stuff it was that was quite oppressive in a weird way um and yet you know uh, the, the 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 routine of work and stuff like that didn't change a huge amount we'll talk about that bit, bit more in a moment um I, the, the, it's weird because there are elements of the time that i miss a bit like the absolute absence of traffic was you know and i live in rural devon um, so it's not that trafficy anyway but the ability to go out for a walk in the evening like literally everybody was doing um after work um we you know go for a walk uh, for an hour or so and just the lanes and everywhere was just completely i mean you can walk across the a38 which is normally like a um it's a dual carriageway normally you know a very very busy constantly and there was just there was no one there there was nothing it was like a zombie apocalypse. It's kind of so the elements of that I kind of really miss because the air quality was amazing and all that sort of stuff. But obviously, that, I don't miss that whole kind of weirdly oppressive newness of it all. That kind of um, intangible, um, spectral thing that was kind of just in the environment. If that makes that's, sense. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm, I'm living in the suburb of a reasonably large sized city, and it was kind of I, I, I would just always, you know, even even now, it's you know, it's kind of pretty much back to how it was before, really, in lots of ways. As you say, we're in kind of towards the end of July now, but I remember sort of the first six to eight weeks, I would sort of go out 
you know, I'd come down, make a cup of tea and take the, take the dog in the garden for a minute and have, have a, have a, have a quick drink. Um, before everybody else got, got up and we, and we started the working or the, <laughs> the school, the school day, school day, you know, possibly not as disciplined as we originally thought it might be, but you know, sure. Hopefully I think a lot of parents of small kids can probably relate to that one. But the thing is, I remember from that period, which is similar to what you've just described, which is just how quiet it was. It was just, you could hear nothing apart from, and and, and in the, we would had really nice weather, didn't we? In yes. sort of April, yes. and it was kind of like um, every morning I'd sort of be in the garden, and all you could hear were birds yes. singing. So, and in, and in some ways, you're like, this is lovely. Yeah. This is so so nice. Wow, what a life! And then you just think, ah, yeah, there's a well, that's pretty why. scary reason yeah. <laughs> why we're having this. I, I remember going so, for a walk, and yeah, um, just this final thing, um, and just uh, at one moment we could stop, and it was like 360 degree birdsong all around us because it was spring, and but it was just, it was, it, you know, it was just it was, moments like that were quite special. Um, so I kind of, yeah. I kind of appreciate those. I'd, yeah, I'd agree with that definitely. So to sort of um, be beyond the kind of appreciating the bird song and but being kind of like aware of this like terrifying world outside our doors. Um, how's actually how's business been for you? I mean, what kind of things have kind of clients been sort of asking for? Is it is it has the ask changed? Has business gone down a lot, or has it gone up in certain areas? Has it has it been for you? Um, well, uh, it was very bumpy at the, at the outset um, because mainly because no one knew what the hell was going on and what the hell was going to happen next. So that became quite a challenge um, for clients to be able to kind of yeah, you know, what we like to do in business, as you know, is kind of forecast a bit and plan ahead and kind of know what's going to happen next. Um, and that was really tricky because nobody did know. You know, all we knew was lockdown and. And we knew there was some support coming out as, as, as the government announcement came out. I mean, you have to, I, I appreciated very much the government, um, introducing the furlough scheme. Um, we didn't use that in our business because, um, of just of the way we're structured and most people are on, um, on, uh, sort of freelance contracts. Um, so it didn't apply to us, but I, I saw that it, it massively helped, um, people all over the country. So that, so that was quite good for folk. Um, and it allowed clients to then kind of manage their own situations, but, Pretty much universally, everybody, including some of our biggest clients, just went, stop. You know, um, one of my clients is um, a big sports club in the Southwest. Um, sports clubs, by their nature, are kind of very financially kind of precarious all the time anyway, in spite of their kind of enormous popularity. Um, there's, there's not a lot of money in a quite expensive business. Um, and he, uh, his actual business is... Um, the, the the chairman um is um running hotels um and in kenya and they didn't have all the furloughing things like that so he was losing millions of pounds a week um and therefore you know unsurprisingly you know contracts like uh, ours for running the marketing for, for them um had to fall by the wayside so that was a really challenging you know losing a big client like that um even though it's temporarily and they will be coming back um you know, and, you know, as I've said in, as regular listeners will know, we have a lot of, um, tourism and hospitality sector clients and, you know, lots of them, not all, lots of them just either couldn't pay or, um, had to cancel or, um, had to put things on hold. Some of them were able to kind of keep pushing through because they wanted to keep communications alive for their customers. So, um, it was a real mixed bag, uh, at first. It was quite scary. Um, then what happened, um, as we got into May, um, and businesses started to realize that, that you know they they could see that this was going to be you know o- ongoing for quite a while um 
we got a lot of interest in building new websites uh, or um, uh, updating existing websites or creating um, online e-commerce platforms for people. You know, shops who were always relying on footfall suddenly needing to sell online. Um, lots of businesses suddenly saying, well, actually, we need to do some work to kind of get customers to, you know, get to, to uh, understand how we're doing takeaway now and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um Anything they could do that could help their business survive and then thrive, um, I think, um, was what was starting to happen. And that's been kind of ongoing as well. That's helped us to build some new relationships. So it's kind of been interesting swings, swings and roundabouts. How about you? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's kind of, um, I think middle of March, I was at a really full calendar and some really interesting projects, and some of which were just kind of getting getting going. Um and a couple, about two, three or four of them, I was told straight away, you know, this is just completely on hold now. No idea when it's going to come back. Because, and again, you know, a few of my clients are NHS as well, so it's like, you know, rightly, um, their attentions were on something else, much bigger and much more important. So, um, you know, that was, and I, you know, from their point, from my point of view, it's completely the right thing for them to do. Um, but it does you know, it does give you a problem. It does give you a problem in terms of, you know, where the income's coming from and all that. I mean, thankfully, I had one or two really good clients that I was about to start a project with that was very much a comms, there were also comms strategy pieces of work, which, you know, for me is my tried and trusted way of doing a comms strategy is to get a ton of people in a room with Sharpies and Post-it notes and to do it that way. That was just not possible. So it was, um, we did it on Zoom. And actually there was an entire project, an entire project of formulating this comms strategy via three or four kind of online workshops. Um, and I had, I got the insight from them, presented it all back for them via Zoom. It's worked. It's really, it's really helping them now. And that's all happened sort of since lockdown. And that's changed that organization's total approach to, to communication. So that's something that, you know, I'm quite proud that I was able to do, but I think also was really interesting in terms of, you know, actually that actually increased people's opportunity to get involved in that process. Cause what we had was, you know, how that would have worked previously is um, I was, going to be sort of hiring a venue in the middle of Manchester and we were going to be getting people from all hospitals and clinical environments and stuff from all over the greater Manchester region. So I don't know, Wigan, all these kind of places, um, sort of Oldham, all these kind of places, right in almost into the Peak District. We're going to be expected to come into the centre of Manchester for a day, take time out of their work and do it this way. Now, actually, funnily enough, we had loads more in, uh, input into that workshop because we were able to do it remotely. And we had 30 people on a Zoom call in random little rooms in random hospitals and random GP surgeries all sort of contributing. And it was actually a lot easier for them to contribute. So I think for me, that's a big thing that I think I am going to basically, you know, try and do a lot more irrespective of whether we're in a pandemic or not, because I feel like, you know, the remote working aspect of it for me feels like, well, for me will be, I mean, as, as, as we both said, we've, we both sort of work from home anyway, so it wasn't the biggest lifestyle change for us, but certainly in terms of working, I think to some extent there's no sub, there's no substitute for real human contact when trying to create relationships to grow your business. Yeah, and I think we need to, you know, always have that caveat, but in delivering work, a lot of it you don't necessarily need to be on a train for. You don't necessarily need to get people in one room at one particular time for. The technology now does allow you to do it in a way that is more inclusive and actually 
a bit easier for everybody. I mean, what, what other things do you sort of think will has changed in our sort of world sort of as a result of the, of the pandemic? Well, it's a really interesting question. I was chatting with um, a client about this the other day. Um, my kind of um, take on it is, is it would be a shame for some of those positive outcomes um, of the pandemic, if you can put it that way, um, to not be sustained going forwards. Um, like you were just saying, you know, um, you know, doing more stuff online, virtually online, it's not made any difference in terms of having a client meeting to me, um, doing it, you know, uh, via Zoom rather than driving down to, you know, Penzance or whatever it might be, um, or, or, you know, getting the train to London and doing it there. In terms of the outcomes of the, of the work, it hasn't made an iota of difference. Our, our, I guess our human instinct and preference is to do things face to face because we're super social animals and, you know, it's more real and tangible in that way. Um, but I think there's something about actually maintaining the discipline of saying, of saying no to a face to face meeting and just saying, we don't, I, we don't need to do that. We can just do this online. Look, we've proved that it, it that it works. I, you know, I was talking to um, a potential client yesterday. They're based in South Africa. All they were interested in was what time zone we're in. And, you know, Luckily, we're in the same time zone. So, you know, it, 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 I, th- there, there would never have been any, any you know, um, suggestion of, well, you need to fly to Johannesburg, it, you know, for, for this, you know, one-hour meeting. It was it was always would have been, uh, let's do a Zoom. That can still happen within the UK um, and even within local environment where it's only 10 minutes drive away. It's like there are quite a lot of unnecessary journeys and travels that have been made. And I think, I think... Um, I don't think we need to we need to sustain um, the you know, or, or go back to those unnecessary journeys. And the other thing I was also talked also talked to my client about was um, this kind of there was there was a real you know love for local. Um, you know, people started to very very much kind of because they couldn't get to supermarkets, they were shopping locally. Um, they were supporting local businesses. Everyone was kind of going. It, it's a real shame that these people that I no, wouldn't normally be buying my artisan bread from might be going under. So therefore, I'm going to get some bread and some cheese from them. You know, once a week. And yes, it's a bit more expensive, but um, it's the right thing to do. And we're all pulling together and all that sort of stuff. And I remember back in May saying to folk, you know, that's going to go away. Once, once the you know um, things settle down again and uh, supermarkets kind of reopen and and some marketing budgets can be thrown back to getting people you know in through the doors, you know the lure of of cut price will be straight back out there again. You know, the, don't be um, don't rest on your laurels with this. Um, so in terms of sort of communications and marketing challenge for them, it was like you've got to start building relationships with with those customers that weren't customers before and getting them to not just love you in this kind of short term, let's be friends because it's, it's a difficult period, but if for the long term of, you know, I've got a really good reason to keep coming back to you, um, even though everything else is reopened and it's, it, it, it's, got, um, it's got a bit more normal. That's really interesting in terms of like the going back to the to the more normal and and, and creating those relationships with customers kind of like beyond this this crazy period you know we're we're in and um, are you finding that um obviously predominantly your work well I don't know whether predominantly is really the right word, but a big proportion of what you do is is digital comms and digital marketing. Now, I've got an exact, I've got an, a very prescient example in my world from from the public sector. So, 
Um, for about for a long time, I've been working on this project with a range of healthcare settings in up here in the northwest, and um, it's kind of a partnership between local authority and, and and NHS. But it's about introducing a new digital initiative, essentially. So um, the ask was very much, you know, we developed a comm strategy and all that lot with my sharpies and post-it notes as I do. But then the ask was very much about, okay, well, we need to publicise this, and we need to tell people about it, and it was. You know, the ask was all immediately, right, okay, well, we've got an outpatients department and we've got this waiting area in this hospital and this waiting area in this hospital. Uh, we can put leaflets, we can send letters out to people, we can put pull-up banners up, we can put posters up. There's tons and tons of stuff we can do. So I was like, dutifully, um, I mean, okay, print is, you know, it's a good part of the mix. It's part of the mix. Why not? Um, but so there's two hospitals up here in the Northwest that have um, – probably box about there's probably about four thousand posters unopened in boxes and about ten thousand trifold a4 leaflets unopened in boxes at the minute because they can't put them up and they uh you know for for you know for for hygiene reasons and the fact that nobody's sat in waiting areas anymore so for me that was a very key one of like well you know that's why you need to do stuff digitally that's why you need to prioritize digital over print print is print is lovely in the right context and if you've got enough money for it but digital you know i'm i'm certainly seeing more people going mm, right yeah we can't actually print anything here so why don't we do things more digitally you might argue that's not before time but are you finding <laughs> are you finding obviously in your world is digital are you finding that more and more people are discovering digital kind of for the first time or embracing it a bit more? How are you finding that? Yeah, absolutely, Uh, 100%. I I saw a cartoon um, in the middle of lockdown, which um, in it wasn't private, it was somewhere online, Um, but uh, it it was a a board meeting um, of people saying, well, we don't need to use digital marketing because, you know, our customers aren't there or something like that. And outside there's this wrecking ball swinging into the window with COVID-19 written on it. Um, it was like, that was so prevalent. Once, once people got over the shock and the kind of panic and they went, we can still do business. We just need to do business in a different way. Um, or we can still communicate with our customers in a different way or, or patients or wherever they might be. It, it, then the, the kind of penny dropped and, and all those conversations I've been having over the last sort of five or six years of, of saying to people, you can't just rely on footfall into your shop. You need to do things online and kind of build a relationship and kind of make sure your brand is more present. Blah, blah, blah. Um, that suddenly became a, a hugely, um, a service that was hugely in demand. Um, so yeah, people really started to realize that people started to start saying, well, if we can't have customers in my shop, I can still sell my things. I just need to have a platform for them to sell it. Can you help me build a Shopify website? Can you, um, help me list that on Etsy? Can you, whatever it might be, you know, from very small businesses and, you know, it made a massive difference to people for a small outlay to put something into Shopify to create them an online presence for the first time they've ever had it, which they can then still use even though they've now reopened, you know. Um, they can still sell their socks online. You know, for micro businesses like that, I love working with them because, um, you know, we can – it helps them survive. It helped them not go under, you know. Um you know, I, I've worked for big pharmaceutical companies globally on product launches, and you know, no one really cared about you know the outcomes of those um, of those of those campaigns, um, really. Um, whereas you work for a small business like that, you've kind of you know 
kept them afloat, kept them feeding their family. Um, and, you know, they've bought a new kitchen or whatever it might be, you know, it, it makes a big difference. So I think, I think, yeah, they, um, the, the, the impact of coronavirus meant that people had to change the way they thought about how they can operate. Um, it forced people into decisions that they'd always put onto the back burner. We'll do that another time. Um, I'm not sure if my customers are on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure if Instagram is the right thing, but I don't really know how to do it. Well, all of those things suddenly became, I, I, yeah, we've got to get get on with this. So um, that that did have, you know, uh, I think a beneficial impact because you don't throw out the the um, the analog way of doing things. Yeah, they can still have a shop once people can and they can operate it safely, um, or, or a restaurant wherever it might be. Um, but they had to start uh, thinking different differently. Yeah, um, restaurants were a great example of that. They had to pivot massively. You know, I had one who um, were a kind of you know a good standard of four course meals. You know, it was about yeah you know, a, a good evening dining experience. And suddenly they had to flip and go. We're going to do pizza delivery because no one else was doing it in the area and they needed to have some way of getting some income through uh, and they had all the kit they could do it they could do it and make it and it was it's been massively successful for them so you know um everybody had to sort of start start thinking differently and i think um uh whilst that was a challenge for a lot of people i think um it, it kind of it was it was a good exercise in um in being responsive and agile and having to think on your feet I think that's that's really interesting. I think that's actually you've got your example there of you know the uh, the restaurant that's repurposed itself to do pizza delivery yeah. because now now or never, guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think actually to some extent it's like you hear that a lot in the in in the public sector as well in terms of things that have would normally have taken months, yeah. if not years, to get in have been have been turned around in a day because some, somebody has made a decision quickly and it's kind of i was speaking to somebody the other day about microsoft teams and the amount of i mean the public sector has run on microsoft teams this 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 last four months because you know apparently zoom isn't safe enough or whatever yeah. but it's kind of you know i was speaking to somebody the, the other day and it was a bit like um we'd had a business case in to the executive team for two years to get Microsoft Teams. And it's like, well, it didn't make this board meeting. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, we need to actually work. So we need this right yeah. now. And it turns out that when you when people want to make a decision, they can make a decision. They can make stuff happen. And not only does the world not collapse, actually, um, it turns out you can trust people to do stuff as well. And I think that's maybe a slightly different thing from large public sector organizations to maybe the small smaller organizations where you know are smaller businesses where people are ultimately working in each other's pockets and there's two or three people and they have to have that sense of trust they might all be sort of co-owners or whatever yeah. in big public public organizations it's you know i think it's really highlighted the sort of culture of mistrust that is sort of exists in those organizations nobody trusts anybody to work from home yeah. nobody trusts anybody with technology but it turns out that when you do it's, as you said before, not only does nothing bad happen, it's actually better because people are more productive and are able to actually do do things, do do things. So there's a really good public sector comms point there. Um, I um, this week got um, a one of those um, a, a free newspapers through the door um, from the coalition of partners of the public sector in in, in Devon. Um, so that was the obviously it was the CCG, the uh, Devon County Council. Um, the police and crime commissioner, I think, and probably the lab. I can't remember exactly, but you know, it's the usual thing with all the logos at the bottom. And it was, you know, it was a six or seven page newspaper printed, 
with all the kind of lots and lots of stuff about COVID, obviously. Um, and one of the articles in there, so it's kind of old school stuff, you know, uh, the old school mail, mail shop thing. Um, it was quite nice to flick through and see what's going on and stuff like that. Um, one of the articles in there said um, that 90% of GP consultations in the last two months have been online. And I was like, I remember last time I went to see my GP was about three years ago, but I remember saying to him, actually, this whole conversation we could have just done on the phone or even on Skype or Zoom or whatever. And he was, and he was like, that will never happen. <laughs> He's, you know, just because we know how it works in the NHS and we were a little, a little laugh of it and kind of, you know, rolled our eyes and, you know, and then suddenly it's like, you know, when it, when, when push comes to shove and you're kind of forced into a corner, the, the whole communications infrastructure, in, including patient contact, how to massively flip and um and they they did it and could do it and you know lo and behold could always have done it um you know as you know i worked in the nhs as you did and years ago there was talk of doing online consultations with gps and it was just never going to be a thing you know really um and then suddenly when it has to be done it's like actually okay we'll have to find a way here because otherwise no one will get seen and people are going to get really ill so i just thought that was really quite quite impressive it's yeah and it, I'm not beating the NHS here or the public sector here because actually it just reflects that same conversation I was having about shops, you know, where shops were saying our customers come through the door, they're not online, I think they're too old for Facebook, whatever it might be, and suddenly it's just like, and they're forced into a position, they open up and realise, oh, actually, I can do this, it is okay, and hey, I can still I can still do business, you know. It, both both sides of that of that coin are in in that same kind of experience of um, of taking that leap of faith and it and it being okay afterwards. That's really interesting. I, I was speaking to somebody from um, said outpatients department that I mentioned earlier yeah. in terms of you know what this has done in terms of you know yeah they are seeing those people but they again the sort of online consultation thing it's it has forced their hand and they're doing it and it's working and and. You know, as you probably say, it probably would have worked ten years ago, but it's uh, maybe you know technologi- technologically, it's things are a lot better and more reliable now, etc. I get that, mm. but actually, it is working. And now that individual who runs the outpatients department is saying they're actually once post pandemic, they're aiming for a sixty percent reduction in face to face consultations. And actually, and and, and that is that, that is genuinely transformational that's a word that gets bandied around quite a lot but i mean i do think that is a genuinely transformational thing and you know okay this is a podcast about marketing and comms not necessarily about sort of um, gp consultation but at the same time you've got to think about what opportunities that provides um organizations who are doing sort of health and well-being type stuff who are doing um you know who are thinking about how to operate in a post pandemic covid world where people are okay maybe there's going to be a lingering anxiety of people i'm sure for a long time after after we're told we can you know go about our business again i'm sure and and as a result there will be reduced you know there will be reduced footfall in shops there will be reduced footfall kind of in town centers and absolutely everywhere um but also people i just think will have a preference for doing things differently people will be working from home more often and people will be you know less people probably will be popping into you know the subway on the way 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 home from the train anymore so actually there's a case in point there of saying it can be done differently when when people's hands are forced and actually digital and the digital experience is a is it 
it makes that even more important than it's ever been. It's it's fundamentally not just about promotion anymore. Digital and the whole marketing experience comes fundamentally about actually facilitating that whole relationship between you and your user, you and your customer. Correct. So I think yeah. they're both re- really, really interesting examples. Well, Mark, I mean, the, 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 that is a marketing challenge because one of the P's of marketing is the product, right? And if your product is a uh, clinical consultation um, and the outcomes thereof, you know, that's your product and you're just thinking about how you can deliver that product in a different way. Um, I know that that language isn't always comfortable in, in the kind of healthcare setting or public sector setting, but the principles are the same and this fundamentally comes down to behavior change um and as you know um i and you have been involved in behavior change campaigns within the public sector for many years and you know including for example um getting people to not use a and e uh, as much as as they were doing and look at what happened with covid and the use of a and e it just flat like it just completely plummeted you know, everywhere, and he was quiet. I, I, a friend of ours um, who's uh, a specialist heart surgeon lives around the corner, she was just saying it was incredible that they were expecting the resources of, of A&E. They had, to re- they had to move everybody into the COVID wards and to, to do all the work because there was just no there was no business. There was no customers in there. People just didn't want to use it. Now, there, there's probably some downfalls of that, clearly, because people might not have been being seen when they should have been, but it also showed that those programs for behavior change in getting people to use A&E differently and use primary care instead or whatever else it might be, you know, fundamentally, um, this was a behavior change tool. It was just the kind of, you know, a, a very brutal one. It was a block on the door and it was kind of, you know, people shouldn't go out and therefore people didn't. Um, we can influence the way people do stuff. Um, and I think, where am I going with this? I think... Uh, we should learn from that that there are clear ways of getting people to do things. If provided you you give them the right infrastructure or opportunities to do, to do something differently, and a convincing enough argument that that's the right way to do things. So, yeah, having an online GP consultation, I bet for a lot of people that was like, I didn't really, I don't really like this. I don't want doing it like this. I don't know if it's safe. There's all those kind of doubts and questions, um, but. You know, if you provide the the tools for people to do it, and the kind of, um, I guess, remove some of the, op- the remove the options for doing the wrong behaviour, then it means you can sort of channel people into the right kind of place, and that 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 applies across the board with with um, uh, with with all kind of walks of life. Yeah, absolutely. And behaviour change is obviously, and well, and behaviour change and influencing people's behaviors is you know been probably the most visibly the most visible thing that's been happening in communications and marketing this past sort of four four months and none more notably than you know every country in the world has had a public information you know campaign or a public information program or strategy or whatever um we've had one here as well um what's been your take on how the government has communicated <laughs> about this um, during this period Blimey. I mean, where to start? It's been pretty chaotic, hasn't it? I mean, it, on, on the one hand, I mean, I, I I get a lot of grief from people saying that I should, shouldn't should give the government too, too hard a time um, because, you know, it's unprecedented and blah, blah, blah. Um, the difficult with that argument is you can you compare, compare the performance and the messaging in particular with other countries and they just don't. 
they just don't compare. You know, um, New Zealand, for example, had a very clear message right from the outset. They had a very clear strategy. It was implemented really quickly. People understood what they needed to do and why. Um, and what we had in the UK was very, it was kind of piecemeal and often contradictory and sometimes completely confusing. Um, and it was really unclear as to why decisions were being made often. So therefore people fill in the gaps with their own kind of theories and conspiracies and whatever else it might be. So I thought, you know what, I thought there were elements of things that the government did, which were the right things to do. I think they were communicated in a really bad way. Um, and it didn't help that they were often contradicting themselves um, that the cabinet weren't necessarily all on the same page with things that, you know, um, people were driving to Barnard Castle to test their eyesight, you know, all sorts of stuff was just kind of you know, chaotically um, a communications chaos. Um, so, you know, I think the stuff at the outset, the Chris Whitty stuff um, seemed to play quite well with people. Um, he became this kind of figure of um, respect um, in terms of, you know, he's the guy that's, that's out there to protect us. He was the right person to front on the TV uh, ads that they ran um, because people kind of got some reassurance from from him. So those early early day stuff was kind of all right, but it was when some details came out about how things are working or particularly as, as restrictions started to become lifting in certain sectors and not in others and why that was okay and is it masks or not masks and suddenly it's masks and you know all of that sort of stuff just seemed to um be slightly um off key for me what about what do you think i think i think you, you highlighted it really well which is this idea of like you know it's it was chaotic well, it is it remains chaotic yep. i think and i think to some extent you know it just goes to show you can't put you know, well, you can put marketing gloss over chaos, but very, very quickly, the chaos will slip yes. through the gloss, yes. <laughs> ultimately. And I think um, it's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, there is that, absolutely. And I, it's, it's interesting, mention about Chris Whitty at the early, at the, at the beginning of the, of the pandemic. I do remember, actually, you know, I'm not somebody who's known to be a huge fan of, you know, the people who run our government, but I, 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 I hear what you're saying there. I think there's, they've done some things that were the right thing, whatever. And I think actually right at the outset of this, I was pretty reassured. I've got to be honest with, I don't want to rewrite history here. I was relatively reassured that, you know, as I say, the two scientists were out and they were talking in a very, you know, composed and in a very evidence-based sort of manner. And it obviously that they were very good foils to, you know, the guys stood, you know, between them, who was not necessarily known for communicating in that way. Yeah. And I, I do also remember sort of almost overnight seeing kind of campaign materials by the Department of Health, this was, and by the NHS, up everywhere super, super quickly over on bus stops yeah. and, you know, front, you know, we went. Uh, we actually went abroad <laughs> the week before that. Um, you know, lockdown happened. We 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 came back sort of just in time, and it was like the all through Manchester Airport. There was just signage, digital signage everywhere. It was super consistent, mm -hmm. and it was like, whoa, somebody has really pulled out the stops here to get this out this quickly yeah. to this level of quality and to you know to this level of kind of coverage. And I was like, well, okay, fair enough, fair play. They've done pretty well there. I think it has been 
and I, I, the, for me, the rot started to sort of set in with with the comms. Right, you, you saw it early on where they started having the, um, the well, it was usually five pm, but then it came seven pm, and occasionally it was midday, and sometimes yeah. it was even later, and sometimes it was at the weekend, and sometimes it wasn't at the weekend. These Downing Street press conferences, for me, the first signs of that little bit of chaos that you said came as something quite simple, which was they had that initial message, which was the uh, stay at homes, protect the NHS, save lives. The first, and it was always one of them on each podium. And the first one, they were all different colors. The blue was the NHS blue. And as one was red and the other one was, 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 um, I think it was yellow Yellow, or whatever. They changed that all to one singular kind of brand style. And at that point I thought, that's a little bit confusing. You shouldn't really be changing your visuals that early in your comp- in your campaign. But I thought, okay, fair enough. It does kind of work. That those those three levels of messaging kind of kind of works. But then it changed again. It went from this red to green, whilst at the same time saying the pandemic is still out there. We're way off. We're nowhere near being able to kind of change the uh, the uh, the um, the lockdown yet. And it's like, well, why change it from red to green then? Yeah. Because it's like green red means. Yeah, red means stop, green means go. Yeah. That's one of the most simplistic things you can you can you can possibly think of. And also, so I, I think- remember there around about that time they also introduced that kind of one to five risk thing, yes. which has disappeared. The, the Nando's thing, yeah, exactly. A lot like the, the <laughs> Nando's home peri peri sauce hotness thing, um, and I just thought there was just way too much going on here. You know, you, you've got yeah. all these kind of, you've got the, what was the this great power of three, you know, like you say, um, stay inside, um, save the NHS, save lives where it was, um, protect the NHS, save lives. And then suddenly there was this kind of, uh, there's one to five over here and then the stay alert, which really made no sense to anybody. Yeah. Um, it, it, you, your common sense. Yeah, you could see it immediately. I mean, it just wasn't tested, I don't think, in terms of... Yeah, but, but it, that's, that's an interesting thing. The, the, the mythology that comes out of the government and out of Dominic Cummings' mega brain is that everything is focus group to death and everything is like, you know, is the real finger on the pulse of the public and everything is tested, everything is data-driven and... Yep. It's multi-dimensional chess and all this kind of stuff, and it was a bit like, who was in that focus group, and <laughs> and who said, yeah, that sort of works for me, being being told to remain indoors and re- remain sort of vigilant and stuff like that. It just kind of didn't really work. And I think, I think as things have gone on, it's gone completely. I mean, and I'm not even there's so many. There's a litany of things here. There's like the briefing the details of the lockdown to the Daily Telegraph behind a paywall, yeah. and it's like. You know, the coronavirus is not a troublesome Tory backbencher. It is a deadly disease. Okay. It's, it doesn't respect the laws of Tory media. <laughs> I think use one thing, but let's just put all that to one side. It's just, if you look at the visual campaign stuff, it's like since then it changed from that red to green thing. It's gone absolutely haywire. Yeah. There's different graphics every day who appears. Yeah. And it's just like, I looked the other day on the, number 10 thing and i counted at least 20 different visual styles wow so that's interesting and, and i've kind of like from my point of view it's like i would never advise somebody does that so i've just kind of thought mm, well maybe again there is some mega brain multi-dimensional chess kind of uber disruption thing going on here which i, I my simple brain can't understand and i've kind of like been challenged on that a little bit when i've mentioned it on twitter and some people have said yeah yeah but this government is all about you know you know being against the metropolitan liberal elite and the only people who care about this stuff is graphic designers and marketing people and that's not really the audiences and you know all that and it's, I'm, I'm sort of a bit like okay well there maybe is something to that and maybe that's fine 
But I would just I would just kind of point people in the directions of the results. Yes, exactly. And I would point people in the directions of the fact that we have the worst death toll in Europe. And you know, I think a lot of comms people will probably listen to this and read stuff and say, well, you can't lay all that at the door of comms. And I sort of, I get that and I'm sympathetic to that. And as I said before, you're putting, I think a lot of comms people in government have been asked to put a gloss on a bit of a, on, on chaos and that never works out well. And I'm sure there's people who probably have got, are doing a lot of personal reflection right now. But at the same time, marketing and comms either is important and is does have an impact or it doesn't. And if we're saying now that it doesn't, um, what does that mean for our profession? <laughs> so I think it, it does matter. And I think, you know, you can draw a line between chaotic communications and, you know, a, a bad outcome for the country. So that's kind of where I am on that. Well, one, I, 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 th- I think, you know, just the, a final thing on that is um, – yeah, okay. Marketing nerds like ours might well look at twenty different images and go, "This is this is a bit ridiculous and chaotic." And people could say, "Well, it's only you and the you know the Twitterati that would be bothered by that." But like you say, the the, the results are the issue, and even even on a relatively micro scale, um, when the confusion and the confusing messages started to emerge, it's not surprising that stuff like Bournemouth Beach happened. And, you know, the, the, the moment people got the chance to shift their behavior in a way that they thought was going to be okay, um, it massively went pear shaped. So the, 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 there has to be a reflection on the, the communication of the message because, you know, it became this kind of everybody can do what they like, but use your common sense. Well, you, you know, as we know from doing behavior change work, there ain't such thing as common sense, really. Because there are loads of different heuristics and kind of biases and um, influences on people's decision making, which aren't based at all on being rational. They're based on emotions and experience and um, habit and all those other things. And everybody who went to, I'm using Bournemouth Beach as that example of that kind of chaos, everybody who went there all thought, that they had a different reason and a better reason to go, you know, it was, it's going to be okay for me. Um, and everybody else looked on and went, this is horrific. What's going on here? You know, um, like when the two lads were, were um, bragging the fact that they came down here to Exeter, um, having escaped, um, using inverted commas, escaped lockdown in Leicester. You know, if you heard about that, but you know, when lockdown was, was, Continued in Leicester, um, these lads um, filmed themselves in Weatherspoons or, or somewhere in, in Exeter, going, "Hurry, we, we, we escaped." It's like people will find ways to break things if they want to, um, but in particular, if communication uh, and your messaging isn't consistent and um, understandable, then people will find ways to kind of get get around it. You know, either deliberately or you know inadvertently. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's it, isn't it? It's, you're talking about behaviour change. It's not just about, you know, what does the poster say? That's what. I, but but the poster is important. You know what I mean? The ad, the ads are important. The Facebook stuff, the Twitter stuff is important. Otherwise, it shouldn't be there. You know. So it's. Uh, but it, you know, as, as you rightly say, it's about motivation. It's about culture. It's about influences. It's about social norms. It's about all of that lot. And uh, that just seems to be something that hasn't really been taken into account account too much. But anyway, I think we've we've <laughs> we've done that. We are, you know, typical marketing people picking apart, uh, you know, p- picking apart other people's crap adverts. But actually, I think there is there is, <laughs> which is exactly. exactly 
yeah, it's exactly the kind of liberal, you know, elite attitude that you know people are railing against. I suppose, but ultimately, you know, I think it, it's about the outcome and it's about kind of that whole package of human behaviour and how you know how you influence that successfully or or unsuccessfully. Yeah. So, Rich. What are you up to next? And what's going on for you right uh, now? So um, we are, well, we're kind of getting back into the swing of things with a lot of our um, our hotel clients. Now they've reopened and they're allowed to welcome people back. Um, in particular, has been interesting, has been helping them. Um, well, uh, yeah, okay, this is interesting. So I, initially, as we were planning for the, for the unlock or uh, uh, allowing them to open their doors again, um, my advice in our kind of meetings were all about um it's going to be about reassuring the public that your that your premises are safe and you've got the social distancing things in place and you've got this that and the other and you know making sure everybody's really clear about because there'll be still a lot of fear etc and interestingly the opposite was true people didn't care they kind of assumed that all that stuff was going to be in place and didn't really want to focus on it or think about it at all what they wanted to know is can i book you know they wanted to get out of the house they wanted to kind of, um, you know, start start um, booking um, their, their their rooms. They wanted to start getting to restaurants. They wanted so it was really interesting how my um, concerns about um, reassuring the public that things were going to be safe and okay weren't really what the public were interested in. They were just interested in: Are you open? Can I come? Um, and everything else, we, you know, we we kind of assume you've got covered. You know, I don't want to have to think about any of that. I'm sure there are, there are, there are certain people who are concerned about safety but to be honest they're not coming out yet you know they're still staying indoors they're barely going to the shops let alone thinking i might go to a hotel i might sit in a restaurant so that bit's been interesting um the other thing that's been interesting in restaurant trade was um now they've been able to welcome people through is actually again not about the reassuring the public that everything's safe it's about having to handle some difficult bloody people who are expecting service to be exactly like it always was, and it ain't going to be exactly like it was for quite a while. So, you know, supply chains are all out, all out the window. So, you know what? Things on the menu might not have asparagus in that said they were going to because they couldn't get any asparagus, and yet people are complaining about it. So it's stuff like that that's been interesting. Um, customer behavior hasn't necessarily been predictable. God, who could predict anything at the moment? But um, helping people re- react and respond to that and um, – allowing staff to be you know, to be patient and uh, you know um give the right messages out around you know um around the customer experience has been has been a, a, an interesting bit of the task what about you interesting what, what, you, what, um, what things go for you so um really i mean my first where are we july july has been a pretty quiet month which has been good in lots of ways because of you know at the very beginning of lockdown is like right i haven't updated my website or my portfolio in two years so now is the time to do it and i just haven't had chance and it's i've been so busy and i've actually been doing a bit of that um um which has been really really nice to reflect on um a lot of my original portfolio was basically stuff had cobbled together from when I'd been in employment. <laughs> so now, actually, I was able to go through and etch literally everything in there. Is all stuff I've done since I've you know been running the business, which is great. And there's some stuff in there that I'm really proud of, and that's really really nice to do. Um, I've got a couple of potential new new projects coming up on the horizon, which are you know quite exciting. Um, I've been doing a bit of writing as well, and I've been doing, you know, I, I did an online um, sort of seminar about how to write a comms strategy earlier this week to about 100 people, which was one that, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was popular. Yeah, it was when comms by the coast. It was a. I was um, I once upon a time I used to work in the students' union um, sector, which was an uh, interesting experience. But it's um, you know I've got some good friends and contacts from from that period. And I was asked to come and share a bit of insight on creating a comm strategy because uh, you know I think we, we've discussed comm strategy on the podcast before, haven't yes. we? You know, from my point of view, it is they don't need to be that difficult to do they are super important but they they could be they can be quite fun and interesting to do because you know it's about thinking afresh about your audience thinking afresh about what they need and thinking afresh about what you know we can now offer them and do that in a, in a way that's creative and it includes people so that seemed to go down quite well um i'm working on a couple of other long-term pieces of work with with a couple of public sector people including a, a brand project for nhs organization which is you know keeping me very challenged and very busy so yeah stuff's still going on so it's so it's all good well one, one new addition for us actually thinking about things is um uh the use of messenger bots um in facebook um that has been huge this summer um and um there's going to be even more of them coming up as well so um and in, in involving them as part of a kind of a coherent marketing mix for a particular strategy or promotion um that's been really really helpful um because they're automatic um if you're doing the promotion via facebook obviously um then you get people engaged the open rate of messages um is huge it's at least 80 percent. we saw 100 percent in in one campaign recently so you know there are not very many forms of marketing where you know that a message is going to get to pretty much eight out of ten people um who are being sent it you know they're going to see it and open it and read it um and then the engagement rate was is equally huge you know sort of 50 60% so that was really good because it helped people well you, you can you can get a really good reach online obviously you get people onto the onto the bot and you can start doing things like capturing um contact details with a gdpr um you know, effective way and start to build a longer term relationship with those people even if they're not current customers so you know feeding into a, a sort of a, a wider base is probably worth talking about at another time um in terms of how, yeah. how you can piece these things together but that's for us has been really interesting and effective um you've also got to be quite uh, on your toes about it because um they keep facebook keep changing the rules about how you can use messages for um for for uh messenger bots for um for marketing purposes so um it's been really interesting and a a, a useful um new um tool to the armory tool to the armory String to the bow. String to the bow, iron in the fire, you know, whatever it is. Knife in the drawer. Knife in the drawer. I don't don't think think that's a thing, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Rich, thanks so much. I mean, let's absolutely pick that up another time because I think that's potentially, you know, in terms of, you know, something that people might want to really start focusing on and another um, way of connecting with with users and connecting with customers, that's potentially something that's really, really interesting. So we have talked about um online ads yep. quite a bit in in the past so uh, that's that's another well here's the, te- I'm, gonna here's the te- to, I'm gonna use i'm gonna say string to the bow again <laughs> exactly. aren't I? that's another part of that here's the teaser because <laughs> you use um uh, organic posting you use um uh, paid advertising you use the messenger bot system and you use email marketing all within the same thing and it includes footfall as well um so you know it's a it's a it's a, a kind of nice little bundle that that is proving really effective so um we'll talk about that next time we shall. Right. Thanks a lot, Rich. That was really good talking to you again. Let's not make it eight months next time. Uh, stay safe, stay alert, and all that lot. And uh, see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.